Hi everyone, welcome to Peace Over Pieces podcast, a podcast concentrating on the problems of domestic abuse awareness. My name is Clara Balding and the goal of this podcast is to interview domestic abuse victims to help spread awareness of the issue, while people in the audience at home can listen or make 100% donation for the specific victims they listen to and connect with. They can also make a general donation to help fund resources for victims as well. You can all find this information on peace-over-pieces.org. I'd like to welcome on the show our next podcast guest. He is a Christian, domestic violence advocate, and a motivational speaker, Andre Lamont. Welcome to the podcast, Andre. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Let's start with your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am a Christian. Um, I am a college student. I am a motivational speaker. I'm currently writing a book. Um, I'm also uh, what you call a go-getter. Um, I'm an person, so I love to see people win in the area of their life, in every area of their life. That's who I am. I love that. That's who I am, too. I like people succeeding and watching that happen. So you go to college. What college do you go to? I I currently attend online at Independence University. Perfect. uh, Where I'm studying uh, business management. Gotcha. That's probably perfect for you because you have so much going on right now, it seems like. I know, I know my life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I'm just going to dive in real quick. So we did discuss a little bit on Instagram about your previous abuse situation. Who was that with? And do you remember your first abuse situation that you came across, if you can remember? Absolutely. Um, like many other uh, domestic violence situations, it's always involving either a loved one or a family member. Um, or someone you care deeply about. And my my domestic violence, my actual original uh, abuse situation that I can remember off the top of my head is one dealing with my father, um, my biological father at that. Um, and that situation took place when I was young, and it started actually when I was young, and it kind of grew on me as I became a teenager until also my adult until when I decided to uh, escape the abuse, I I should say. I see. And so was it physical, uh, emotional, sexual? There's a flip side of my story. I was abused by my oldest brother as well as a couple cousins. But I also was, uh, and I was sexually abused. But I was physically abused by my father. So when I speak of physical abuse, my first initial physical abuse came from my father versus my sexual abuse, which came from my uh, brother. And I was I was definitely at a younger age than the physical abuse. What's your earliest memories of that and what did that consist of? Absolutely. My earliest memory of physical abuse will be probably when I was the age of eight. Mm-hmm. I remember coming home from school. I believe that my father got into a argument with my mom about where I was supposed to stay, where I belong, where I'm supposed to be at. When that occurred, my father has always had an anger issue. But on this particular day, he allowed his anger to kind of overpower who he was as an individual. And um, I remember coming home from school walking up the stairs, and as I was walking up the stairs, I see my dad walking towards me, and he basically took both of his hands and pushed me down the stairs. I remember walking up the stairs uh, from 
from school and see my dad uh, basically as I was walking up the stairs, he was meeting me at the stairway. And he basically took both of his hands and he pushed me back down the stairs. I was literally eight years old and I lost my balance. So I rolled and I tumbled. I uh, hit my head more than once and twice on the rails of the stairs until I got to the bottom of the floor. And as he was yelling, I knew, and the things that he was spurring out of the mouth, I knew it wasn't my fault, but I knew that something occurred for him to react on me the way he did. After he pushed me, because that's my father, he told me to go upstairs and get fully naked and take a shower. And I go upstairs and I get fully naked and I take a shower. And before I can even get out of the tub, um, my dad comes with an extension cord. And he beats me with an extension cord all the way to the bedroom. He beats me. He takes an extension cord. And it wasn't just oh a one-two hit. It was he beats me until I get got to the bed. Goodness. Okay. And... And I was, um, basically got to the bed, he pushed me on the bed, and he told me to lay down, face down, towards the bed. And I, and at that moment, um, I couldn't take any more hits. So, it was like, either I just cry myself, (laughs) cry, or I run. Uh, but it was like at that moment, something happened where he blanked out and he never stopped hitting me until literally blood was coming out of me. Uh, I never went to the hospital. I missed two days from school. Uh, and I never got to even tell anyone the story, including my close family, uh, my aunt, my grandmother, anyone that was even closer to the family, because there was no way of me saying my dad did this without him not knowing. Right, I can't and, imagine. Or finding a way to retaliate. You were only eight at this point, and that was that was the first situation that happened between you two. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. is the most intense, like, And that was, that was, um, that was when I think the, I want to say, um, the switch of, of how abuse uh, really formulated really to its worst, should I say. Like, I think that was starting the incline point of my abusive uh, relationship with my father. Two days pass, and you're non-school. Did you you have the courage to go and talk to your dad? I mean, obviously, at eight years old, I I doubt it, but what did you do after that? Do you remember? Oh, um, to be honest, um, I tried talking to my dad, before I actually ran away, ran away. One of the stories that really is kind of the turning point in my life is actually my final abuse from my father. Uh, I was working at a summer camp, you know. Um, my grandmother actually took me to go get a summer camp job. And at this point in time in my life, I was working at the Houston Parson Recreation Center. So um, I was basically dealing with a lot of other youth. I was kind of the the captain, the lead camp uh, personnel for uh, 
kids from like six to twelve. Yes. Per se. And I worked at that job for literally like four months, right? But every time I got a paycheck from that job, I never saw it. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a reward for me because it went back into the household. Um which was okay. I didn't have a problem with that because I understood that I was a child at that moment and I was um they were trying to teach me some responsibility. I think the issue really boiled down to it is when my dad started getting more controlling over my job as well versus him being just my father. Right. At that moment. Um, my job told me I had to work. They just like, hey, you got to work Monday to Friday and you can't miss any days. So at this point, I was jeopardizing my job and my that, that I was working, but also my finances that I actually needed at the moment, or we needed as a family at the moment. And my dad came up to, on my job one Tuesday. And it was, uh, I can remember it, that it was Tuesday, because Tuesdays is when we got paid. Wednesday kind of Wednesdays, but it was Tuesdays kind of, they sent the money to direct deposit or whatever the case may be. Working at the Houston Parks Recreation, and basically my father, um, came up to my job one day and wanted me to leave work early. And of course, without having a emergency, my boss, neither did I feel the need of me leaving, having to leave work early. It wasn't a situation that I needed to leave work early. But to find out um, before all this transpired or after all this transpired, to find out only reason why he wanted me to leave my job is because my mom came up to my school one day, and I think she wanted to talk with, uh, or she talked with the counselor or the principal on actually trying to see me or get me out of school. And I was unaware of that, and I think he thought I was aware of that 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 situation, which I wasn't. And so my dad came up to my job, and basically, he pulled, he fought me. He beat me. He walked into the place that I work and did this in front of six and twelve year olds who wasn't even his kids. He he harmed you in where, front of the children. Yes, and drug me out because my dad is much heavier than I am. I'm really slim in in size. Whether my dad, oh my like, gosh, yes, way buffer than I am, way bigger and taller than I am. So he kind of pulled me and he drugged me outside. Uh, literally, I had on shorts. So where he was drugging me, like concrete, glass, and all that was getting, you know, like it was really intense. Yeah. To the point where my supervisor, she was a female, she even stopped, tried to come to, try to stop the fight, and he literally took her head, and he pushed her head to the point where she couldn't even stop the fight. She was just trying to say, hey, let's not do this here, we have other kids involved, you know, look at that, this is unsafe for the kids. And it was like he blanked out at that moment. Yeah, that's crazy. And at that moment, like literally, we were on the city private property. And he was literally taking me, beating me. He took my head and banged it up against the playground, the actual playground area. Oh uh, I just forcefully just kept hitting me. My whole clothes were torn off to the point I had to run away from my job. And so, literally, when I got away, I ran so far. I didn't stop running. 
I ran so far. At that time, I didn't know Houston downtown area like I do now. Uh, but I was running. Yes. I didn't stop running. I just kept running with my shirt off, with blood coming down my head, from my eye being busted to my arm being scraped. I just kept running. I just kept running. I just kept running. The only thing I had on me that kind of kept me from being, or that kept me being safe, was my cell phone. This particular cell phone I bought maybe about a week ago. So my dad really didn't have really access to it or any information on that cell phone. But that cell phone saved my life. I literally left the charger. I left my ID. I left my backpack. I left my lunch. I left everything at that job. Everything I didn't have was there. anything wow. with me. And I, I ran. And the cell phone became a prominent, really safe haven. One of the things that got me to safe haven. I didn't know the bus system like that in Houston at that point in time because they never trusted me to ride public transportation, but they never educated me on riding public transportation neither. But I ran and I was running. I stopped that. I seen a bus coming, public transportation bus coming. I got on the bus. The lady, I, I can't remember her name to this day, but this bus driver opened her doors for me and she said, get on, baby and just duck because she actually seen my dad in a car. By this time, they were in a vehicle looking for me. She seen him basically chasing the bus. No way. And she said, baby, just duck. She said, I got to let you off somewhere. But right now, I'm going to drive until I can't drive no more. So this lady was staying on her route, and I was basically ducking on the city bus because, you know, city bus have windows. Yes. Ducking where he couldn't see me inside. She drove until we basically lost him downtown. And she allowed, when I got downtown, she knew I didn't know anywhere, any, any place. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know how to get to anywhere downtown. So she left me in the central main area of downtown, town, main street area. Right? Right. And um, I got off the bus. And basically, um, my supervisor, not my, not my site supervisor, but my, um, she's kind of my coordinator for the district area. Um, she called. She called me. She was like, I heard what happened. Where are you? I have your check. Uh, you don't have to worry about anything like that. She was like, where are you? And I told her, I said, I'm downtown. I'm stuck. By this time, it's going on like 7 to 8 o'clock at night. And she was like, do you know where you are? I was like, no. To the point where uh, she tried to walk me we did so many research. We did. She went on the internet. She pulled up her phone. She called resources. She was trying to find somewhere for me to get safe. Right. But there was nowhere at that point, that moment that we could find. So I was just sitting downtown waiting patiently, just bleeding. And yeah, of course, that would be like so delusional. Normal, right. And like, of course, like normal, uh, we have a lot of homeless people that stay downtown. So... I didn't look no different than them, so why would somebody help me? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. And yeah, so I got a lot of nose turned up. I yeah. got a lot of, oh, he's crazy. He just got into a fight. Right. And, you know, so the people that wanted to help me or that I thought would help me, they turned against me. Yeah. Because they thought I was just a normal, average homeless person. How hopeless did you feel at this point? I was completely depleted. And let me tell you why I was completely depleted. I was depleted 
I, at that point, I didn't even have energy. Uh, I was devastated. I was devastated to the point where I didn't think that, I didn't know where I was going from there. I didn't know if I was going to be successful. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to survive. I didn't know if the streets was going to remain my home. Uh, that's why I have a certain outlook and different outlook on homeless individuals. Uh, and I actually did my own research that to find out that a lot of um, people that are homeless, sometimes they choose to be homeless, but sometimes life circumstances really drive them to be homeless. Of course. It's not that they are all on drugs. It's not that they're... No, you know, I fully believe in that too. Absolutely. And that was one of the things that, that I felt really hurt about is that I couldn't make it out without any support. So after me spending the night, close to the night, uh, laying down in the park, um, along with other nights, uh, but this particular first night, um, my supervisor called me back around 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. She said, I found a place where you can go for safe haven. And I said, huh? She said, I found a place where you can go. I said, I only have 5% or 10% left on my phone because my phone was about to die. Oh, my gosh. She said, get the address. Get the address. And get the address, and I'll try to walk you through getting to the place on the phone. So, literally, my supervisor walked me through because she didn't know how to get to me downtown because I didn't even know where I was. Uh, she gave me the address, and from there, I went to a place called Covenant House, Texas, which, which is a homeless shelter for youth. And the reason why that shelter is so pro- profound in my life, because it also helped me, it, it gave me the hope that I needed, it sustained me, it, uh, it provided for me when I could provide for myself. Yes. And um, even though it was hard getting into the program, it was still a success of mine because I remember going there that first night, but the second night, because um, they had to have an intake policy, they could not take over a certain amount of people. So they allowed me, I had to literally stay on the street for that night. Oh my gosh. So I had to learn to survive even in a park. Yeah, this is like a movie. I can't imagine yeah, how you felt right absolutely, now. Absolutely. And shelters are real and they, you know, they are good benefits. But for, you know, for someone who never had to live or experience that life like that. Oh, it's scary. It, right. And that was one of the, that was the ending of my abusive situation with my father. Gotcha. Versus, so after that, you didn't see him at all? I never saw him again. And have you yet to this day? Yes, I have. Actually, wow. uh, prime example, uh, my sister graduated, I believe, like three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I decided to, my aunt reached out to me because I still have connections with my aunt. And she told me about the graduation. And I decided to go to my sister's graduation. And that's, that's it's when I saw my father. But other than that, I have not saw my father since then. Oh, my goodness. And did you guys speak to each other or was it just? Hey, it was, uh, I think it's still some anger issues there. Of course, um, understandably. Right. Um, but for me, I'm more healed of the situation. Um, I have victory over it. Yes. I, I didn't have any animosity towards him because but yet again, he's still my father. But I know how to love from a distance. That's very mature of you. And so I did not have to, um, even in that moment, I didn't have to own up to the fact or have to make him feel 
here because of him, because at that moment I wasn't here because of him. I was here because of the support that others helped me to get to this point in my life. Absolutely. First, his abuse. After you essentially were abandoned on the streets because of this situation, how did you get out of that? Literally, I, I can't even explain it to you. I, I have to I'm say sure it was a process. Just <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I have to say literally angels was over me because by this time I had lost my job. Yeah. Uh, so I had no, no revenue, no funds or anything coming in. Uh, I didn't have identification on me. So nobody would hire me without identification. So the shelter, when I say the shelter, Covenant House Texas was really a useful tool that I used because they allowed me and helped me to get my birth certificate. They helped me to get my actual social security card. They helped me to get my ID. And then, of course, after that, they helped me to get into a school. Uh, they helped me to help me with job research and help me to find a job. Amazing. Yeah. So I would say my life, it, it took months. It took months, of course. Of course, uh, yes. But before then, um, because I really utilized the program to the best of my benefit, they had resources coming my way. Uh, Christmas was phenomenal. Uh, whoever my Christmas donor was at that time, they really showered me with gifts and Christmas gifts. Uh-huh. I really never had a birthday or yeah. celebrated Christmas like that until my aunt was working. My aunt was one of the people that really gave to me in my youth. But as far as my family and my parents, I really never had a birthday party or anything like that to actually celebrate who I was. So Christmas was phenomenal for me. Um, and the turning point really happened in the shelter, but it was literally three to four to five months down the line. Unfortunately, Andre actually has the busiest schedule ever, and I understand he's doing great things right now with motivational speaking and counseling. So we kind of had to finish his podcast through text communication in private. So my last two final questions, the one beginning with how do you deal with trauma? And this is what he responded with. Wow. Coping with trauma is a great question. I personally cope with trauma by using faith principles, uh, prayer, fasting, meditation, things of those such things. Um, When I was young, my escape was writing poetry or um, listening to music or going walking or finding a way of escape, like the Bible says. Um... So I will give the advice of someone, find that one thing that you love doing uh, that you may be passionate about that may give you a break from life, uh, not, not including drinking, smoking, or drugs, but turn into something positive. Um, and that's how you cope with trauma. Trauma will always be there, but it's how you live through it how and what you make out of it. And I believe any person that's dealing with trauma can overcome trauma by applying good practical principles. After this, I then proceeded to ask my last question, which is, of course, any final words for what you have to say to the people listening? Learn to be courageous in your pursuit to be healed. Learn to be courageous in your pursuit to escape. 
Learn to be courageous in making a bold statement in society about domestic violence and abuse. Um, And learn to be bold in everything that you do. Learn to stand out. Don't be afraid to reach the glass ceiling. Don't be afraid uh, to stand out where others may seem the norm. Uh, Be different, be wise, be bold, be strong, and love yourself. (laughs) Love yourself. Those are my last and final words. Thank you for having me on your show. I really enjoyed um, this segment.